So nowadays, associations are confronted with a dense thicket of environmental regulations. And these are regulations that apply to many different industries, sort of transversal regulations. The challenge for associations is to really focus on the big picture, focus on their societal, their economic, their environmental impact, be able to see the forest and, and not the trees. But at the same time, they need to be realistic. In order to be credible, they need to focus on the challenges that they face in trying to achieve sustainability goals. It doesn't make sense to try and paper over these. And so I think that striking this balance is is the challenge. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this podcast today. This is the second episode of the Kellen Associations Unplugged podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined by Yori Ringman. He's the Director General of CEPI. That's an association that focuses on the paper industry and other bio-based materials. I think he's perfectly placed to answer some questions on this topic. I don't know if he's going to have all of the answers, but I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Yori, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for letting me be in. Well, let's, uh, let's start with, with how, you, how you got here. Was this something that was part of a plan? I have to apologize for not having a great story about my career because it's not been a linear path. So anything I ever planned for didn't happen and then anything that happened, I could not have <laughs> planned for. So this is a bit like by chance that I'm here, but uh, I'm, I've been always open to surprises of life and, and, and I think that's been carrying me over and and, and then, yeah, it's been okay. But you, you're at the European Parliament, you're in the Commission. And then, then they asked me to join SEPI and that was back in 2004. So I've been there for a while now, but in, in many different roles as well. So this is my number eight title in, in, in SEPI. So in these 18 years, I've had eight titles. This probably is my last title, at least in SEPI. But uh, yeah, it's been interesting and, and exciting so far. So I've been happy to, to stay. Many people have the dream of being part of the commission because the conditions are so good. Is there something about an association that made it more attractive than the European Commission? Well, now I think they have reduced also the benefits in the in the commission. So if you start now, it's it's maybe more comparable. But what, what was attracting me was that back in 2004, end of 2004, when they, they called me from, from SEPI, it was clear that this industry is going to go through a transformation. What exactly, when exactly, nobody knew, I didn't know. But I thought that, well, isn't it going to be exciting to be part of that kind of transformation and, and being able to support it and, and, and direct it or, or show some leadership and, and, and help the society and the, the industry to, to transform. And why I believe that this is going to be a success was that this is an age-old industry, of course. We, we started uh, industrial production of, of paper in Europe 950 years ago. And then it has reinvented itself many times in this time. And I, I thought, well, there's no evidence to, to believe that it wouldn't be able to successfully reinvent itself again. And then this is actually now happening. So, of course, soon after we had the, the financial crisis and then many other crises that has been accelerating this transformation and, and it's, it's now taking place. And is this part of a, a personal mission that you have? Is, is it important for you to have an impact on society and do associations help you fulfill that mission? 
I think it's part of my my characteristics. Yes, since 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 the childhood, like already as a child, I, I like to pick trash from from the pavement if I found something and then put it in the bin. Because I thought, well, I, I can do a little something to, to make the world a better place. I don't have an illusion that I, I will alone do anything or, or change the world completely, but at least to contribute. I think that would be nice. But a part of what your association represents is the paper industry. Yes. I think, at least from a communications point of view, there, there's a challenge. I think that in people's minds, when they think about paper, they think about the trees that were cut down in order to make that paper. So automatically, you're the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I remember a few years ago, the, the European Commission changed their Christmas cards to a digital greeting. And they said that otherwise, all the trees of the Sankatene Park in, in Brussels would have been cut down for their Christmas cards. And then that was, of course, completely nonsense and not based on anything. And then definitely not the trees in the Sankatene Park. But it's it's a challenge. I think communication in any industry, in any association is a challenge. And, and for us, it's, it's, of course, a big challenge in particular because of these perceptions that are not, not based on facts, but but uh, are, are very strong. Have we, you, we, by the way, do not do what you suggested in the beginning. We don't paper over, even if it would be something that would be natural for us, I guess, because of the industry, but we don't paper over anything. So you're, you're, you're open to being honest, serious about the challenges within, within the industry. Um, how, but I'm just keen on, the, on that communications kind of question. How do you address that? I mean, what is the what is the argument? What's the response when people say, "Okay, you're responsible for cutting down trees?" Yeah, well, of course, there's a lot of data, and and, and luckily we have probably the best data in, in town. So we have since uh, more than ten years been practicing what the Commission has included as as a method for for the environmental footprinting for the data quality check. So we have what in that method is is called excellent data. And then in addition, voluntarily, we have since about 10 years also had an external audit for the data that we collect. So for our statistics, that's not required by any any law or regulation or not even advised by the commission. But we, we thought that since we have good data and then sometimes people have trouble in believing that we are so good in some areas, that it's better to have this audit. So for example, now for, for a period of five years, we work with Deloitte. Yeah. So they are very, very good in, in, in checking what we do, advising us where we can further improve. So even if we are probably best in town, we can still improve. So there's no limit to how, how good you can get. And, then, and with that data, we can, we can, of course, start the communications. But what is lacking, of course, is, is the, the sort of human interest side of, of the communication. So in, a, in an industry that is so engineer-driven, we are used to give statistics and data and believe that this is enough, but it's not. So people need to have a story. They need to have a narrative. They need to have a human side to things. And, and increasingly, we now try to link the, the statistics and the data we have to what actually happened in a company or in a country or in, in, a, in a context, and then keep the human side. So what was the, the big challenge or, 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 or the work done by, by a young engineer to change the water treatment system in a, in a paper mill? That, that was making the huge change and then is then reflected in these European level statistics. But I would imagine as well that it's in the interest of your sector to have robust forestry in, in Europe. So your, your interest is in preserving. If, if there's any industry that would like to, to have healthy forest uh, staying until unlimited time in the future is us because our industry, our 
investments, our future depends on having that forest. So why would we cut the forest and not to have anything to do then tomorrow when we have just invested billions of euros in in in, in using that resource in in a, in a sustainable way? If societies were to accelerate the move to let's say a more paperless state of affairs mm-hmm. would this be good or bad for european forestry it wouldn't have an impact on the european forestry and then first of all we 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 don't use the the kind of trees that you would like to hug i i, I think you look like a guy who, who's going <laughs> hugging trees on the, the spare time i've never never been accused of this before no okay yeah. anyhow i think that you should ask the tree first so otherwise but you have the tree tree to movement that's a then, harassment yeah exactly so i we are not sure if they like it but yeah some people like to hug the trees but those trees we we don't use so it's it's residues from industries that make this kind of furniture or that kind of material that we have on the on the studio on the wall and the residues of the sawmills and, and woodworking industries is what we use yeah and uh, we couldn't even afford the, the nice big logs that that you you well not you just said it's not you but the people like to hug yeah and that's the starting point so the fresh fiber or the the virgin fibers they don't come from from these beautiful trees that you, you admire in the in the forest yeah it's it's a by stream from from using the the trees for construction for furniture for other 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 uses like that because from the round tree you have to get to square shapes and then then you get all the materials that we need and and, and that's that's enough then more than half of our production is from recycling so we are really the champions of recycling in in, in europe and, and and even globally and then that's really important part of our our industry and and, and even there even if we are champions we, we want to still get higher yeah and i think one kind of interesting thing that i discovered while looking into this i mean just which speaks to how important circular economy has been to the, the paper industry i mean that, that the logo itself the recycle the famous recycle logo with those arrows pointing at each other it started in the paper industry, right? Exactly, yeah. It's also a fun fact that many people don't know. But it was developed by paper industry for the first Earth Day in 1971, so over 50 years ago. And we own and we own the unprotected by IP so that everybody could start using it. And then, boy, have they started. It's now one of the best recognized international symbols all over the world. So even if you go developing countries and you show the recycling logo, they, they will know what it is. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. And in a fairly short time, fifty years, it's 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 a long time, but it's it's a short time to make a change. And and I think to have a global impact, it's 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 absolutely a success story that we have. At the very least, I mean it's yeah. uh, it's a sign that you were able to impact the public consciousness with your yeah. communications. Which which doesn't happen. And of very course often, it has right? also been abused and misused in, yeah, in, yeah. in communications as well. But that's the, the risk you have to take to yeah. to, to Put something on the public domain; it will be used by people in a wrong way, but also in a, in a right way. And, and and we are glad that we did that. And then there's this story about the term sustainability itself. <laughs> yes, so sustainability have of course been on the the policy agenda for the past thirty years in in a more or less serious way, and then increasingly now in the in the, for example, in this green deal of of the current European Commission. But very few people know that it's it's a old, very old term for, for forest management that was coined 310 years ago, so 1713, 
as a principle of not exceeding in harvesting of trees of what the, the nature can regenerate. And then that was quite a big change at the time. And then we have been practicing this sustainability since then. And then, of course, the, the thing about sustainability is that you never get ready. You never get to the finishing line. So it started with, with the, like a quantitative understanding of not exceeding what the nature can regenerate. But since then, of course, we have understood that it's, it's much more. It's also qualitative aspects. It's biodiversity. It's, it's many things. And then, of course, we, we will not even understand now everything we will understand 10 years from now. So it's an never-ending story. You always have to be prepared to understand more, take take a bigger challenge and, 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 and aim higher. That's part of the culture of your association? It is, yeah, yeah. We, we have this kind of attitude in the association. I would say also in the whole of the industry that we are like a humble champions. So champions typically are setting a very ambitious target. They work hard to get that target and, and, and when they reach it, they are they are proud of themselves they they are proud to communicate that look what we did but immediately they they set a new target that is slightly higher and and, and slightly more difficult and 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 they they work a little bit more to get to that so you stay humble although you are champion but you should be able to to of course communicate both things that you are a humble champion i think that champion's mindset is needed for associations nowadays because brussels has really undergone a shift I think it was perhaps easier in the past when Brussels was a bit more technical and regulatory. People in the institutions would contact associations directly on files that were related to the industry that that association was was representing. Brussels has become more political now. It is. Uh, so the the internal market, when it was established 30 years ago, that was, of course, this starting point for, for the collaboration between associations and, and an industry in general, and the policymakers, because many of the directives were very technical. So the commission would not have had the, the technical expertise to, to prepare all these many directives that yeah. were needed for the internal market. Now the internal market has been somehow set aside and it's no longer the core mission of, of the European Commission. And in particular with this von der Leyen Commission, they, they with this Green Deal and, and with Mr. Timmermans, of course, in particular, it has become the mission of, of, of advancing the, the green transition. Well, they, they call it the dual transition of, of also the digital, but but I think it's mostly been green. Yeah, I would even say that the, the part of the deal has been also a bit left aside and it's been more green than than the deal. Yeah, but that should be good for your industry, good for your association. It is for my industry in particular because the, the end goal, so the 2050 vision of, of von der Leyen and, and, and Timmermans is exactly aligned with what, what the kind of industry we are. So saying goodbye to the fossil economy and, and, and working in this renewable carbon neutral way is, is exactly what we do. So this is like almost describing our industry without them knowing that this is, this is a description of our industry. Yeah. But the difficulty is this transition. So it's, uh, I like this idea of thinking that it's, it's when, when an old era is coming to an end and a new era is starting, you have a moment in between that is not yet, the old is not dead yet and then the new is not ex- exactly entirely there yet. So you're in between and, and then that's the time when dangerous things can happen, where, where things that were not thought of or, or things that are yeah, the collateral damage 
the risk for that is, is really, really high. And I, I think this is where we are now in the Europe, in, in the European economy, and then this transition to the green economy that, that is, is, of course, undeniably, we, we strongly support what, what the European Commission wants to achieve. But the next 10 years will be very difficult times for anybody in Europe. And, and, and uh, to really, really get it going and, and not to, to have collateral damage that is actually killing killing the, the parts that, that would be growing the, the new new kind of, of way of working in Europe is a is, is very big risk. There's a danger that politicians will be focusing on green targets, a green transition at all costs, and that other aspects of, let's say, the broader understanding of sustainability, economic, societal sustainability, might get lost. That's it. So they, they set this goals, but there's also something that I, I, I would say it's almost like a structural deficit of, of policy in general. No, I'm not talking about uh, Mrs. von der Leyen or, or, or this current commission as such, but in, in general, the, the regulation authorities or even NGOs, they have built all their work on, on, on focusing on, on data on, on negative impacts. And then that is, of course, important. You have to be aware of your impact and, and understanding that. But if you only focus on that, there's, of course, no way of, of not having negative imp- impact except by not existing at all. And, and, and this is not a healthy mindset. Yeah. It's, it's uh, creating this kind of culture or, or thinking that this is, is paralyzing. So if you only look at the environmental cost you become cynic. So you understand the cost of everything, but not the value of anything. Yeah. So that's, that's not good. So the system we have now in place that is, is only looking at how bad things are, even if you have this beautiful goal, is paralyzing, it's, it's toxic for the mentality. And it's not creating the momentum of making us move as a community, as a society, forward and that's that's needed so really i i do believe it's 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 the wrong kind of of system that we have for for creating progress so really they they have a system that is understanding the cost of everything and the value of nothing and that's not good do you think that ngos will find it easier to make their negative story take hold as opposed to the more holistic story that industry and many other industries are trying to present? Uh, I, I don't know about the NGO. So they, they of course, need to, to have, have their own communications decided by, by themselves and, and they, they have reasons for, for the way they work. But at least for the policy, I think we create otherwise a, a feeling that there's, there's a need to work in panic. And that's, like I said, that we in this transition, panic is, is not helpful. So it, it's creating even more risk of, of having this collateral damage and, and, and not actually achieving the, the great goals that we have set for ourselves for 2030 and 2050 and, and of course in between. So we, we should have, have a different way of, of, of looking at things. And, and, and there's a comedian who, who coined the term that Western societies have a progressophobia. So we, we actually refuse to see any progress. We, we like to see things going down in the spirals. And, and, and that's, that's selling a story, but it's, it's not creating the action that we need.
Yeah. And the other thing that strikes me in all of this is just how important communication needs to become for associations. Has your association made the transition that allows you to effectively tell this story? I would be careful with the word effectively, <laughs> but transition, yes. So when I started a long time ago in, in SAPI, we had a negative communication mandate. So our company said that uh, they operate business to business and, and there's nothing, there's no role for associations to communicate. Now that has changed. We, we understand, of course, that we need to, to communicate to the stakeholders that we have in Brussels. So policymakers, these NGOs, other, other people in Brussels. And we are now trying to learn how to do it in an effective way. I'm not sure we have exactly found the, the formula yet, but uh, what we do is, is, of course, to try to combine the data we have with, with stories about what actually is happening on the ground and tell the, the efforts that people make in, in, in making this change happen and, and what, what is behind these fantastic numbers. So if we have the highest uh, recycling rate of, of all packaging materials, for example, it didn't come from from nowhere. It came because of, of many people in many countries made a huge effort, investments, trying trying to figure out the best systems and, and, and improving things. And then these stories we have to, to combine with, with the data. Otherwise, the data is, is ignored and are not understood. Is this about not just addressing uh, a perception among politicians and policymakers, but also addressing a public Ideally, public perception, but of course, you can't do it from Brussels. So Europe is a mosaic of cultures and languages, and, and even for the European Commission, it would be impossible to, to communicate. I, I'm even a bit skeptical about this idea of the Spitzenkandidat of, of the European election. So if I think about my siblings in my home country, when they vote, and I, I do hope that they vote for the European election for their own candidates, but I don't think they have any idea who these people are that's supposed to be the the top candidates, they are not simply known. So can you imagine a small association like like us trying to communicate to people in the street? That, that's not working. But uh, there's this famous theory of, of the, the thinking biases. So if, if you hear a story from two sources and, and uh, they, they claim the same thing, you have this confirmation bias that, uh, that it must be true because I heard from two different sources. Well, we don't try to, to make things believed that are not true. But I think even for the facts, you need to get the confirmation, in, this, in particular in this current situation where you, there's so much information, so many sources, so many beliefs or, or, or alternative facts going around that we need to get the, the confirmation. So what we communicate in, in Brussels as, as SEPI has to be confirmed by many other sources. So ideally, of course, authoritative sources like European Statistics by Eurostat national level communication, because everybody in Brussels actually comes from somewhere. So they, they follow the media from their home countries or their home regions. And then the same messages, the same confirmation from the for the information that we give has to come from there as well. Otherwise, it's not going to be successful. So this is one of the challenges we have to do, that we have to be able to, to, to provide information, materials, assets of communication that are, are then interesting for our companies, for our national associations, that they, they use the same messages and, 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 and keep this confirmation. And of course, make sure to start with that we, we are based on, on real facts. Yeah. I mean, the advantage is that you have the network. Like, 
many other associations. I suppose the challenge is to harness that network and encourage everybody to speak with, with one voice. That takes takes time, right? We actually like the, the phrase one voice. That's that's something that we use since long time and and, and, and and try to educate our people that we need to speak with one voice. Because otherwise it's just confusing and and, and, and it's it becomes a cacophony that nobody can understand. So we need to have this one voice. But of course we can't force. So SEPI is not an authority. And it's like anything we do, it it's it's bought in by the industry if it makes sense. And and, and this is what, what we try to do to, to have the sort of authority of, of a reason that we, we produce materials that make sense and, and are, are interesting and attractive for, for our own own associations, our own members, our companies. Of course there's a huge amount of different topics that you could focus on. <laughs> How do you prioritize? You can't. When when the Green Deal came, for example, we we thought that let's let's focus on on few priorities, but we realized that there were very few things that we can leave aside. So it's it's unfortunately so that uh, things are more and more complex, more and more interconnected. If you focus on one aspect only, then 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 you you don't succeed in in having the the real impact and an effect that you wanted. Maybe some other. Uh, Agents have have the the privilege or the luxury of of looking at one aspect only and 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 not looking at the systemic effects, but we we don't have that that luxury unfortunately. Yeah. Also, I've heard you speaking about the importance of looking beyond the industry that you're representing and collaborating more with other industries, other stakeholders. Is this something that you've managed to achieve some progress in in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think we we are also champions in collaboration in 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 Brussels. And the same thing is that uh, we can't, of course, get uh, others buying into to what we want to achieve if it doesn't make sense for the others as well. So we we don't have the authority of, of forcing anybody to support our messages if it's not making sense for the rest of the society. But we we are we are doing that a lot, and then we are part of so many collaborations and alliances and coalitions that that it's 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 amazing but uh, it's also something I, I think sustainability alone without some kind of thinking of of leadership it's not not so much about your title or if you're a manager or not but but being a leader means that you have to i think have three components happening at the same time one is this to to have this champion attitude that we discussed uh, to continuously improve your own performance yeah and then that's what we do. And then the second thing is to to think of doing it so that whatever impact you have, it goes beyond your own organization. That you are not only focusing on on something that is sort of naval grazing, and then and you you look look into beyond your own organization. And then these collaborations and then the impact of what you do in the whole of the society is becoming more important. And the third component, which is even more challenging, is that even if you are focused on here and now, you should today think also about tomorrow. And sometimes there are clashing or conflicting motivations of, of doing something today that, that is, is not working for tomorrow or, or the opposite. But you still have to also make sure that you're resilient in the future. And then this is the, the test for the leadership. So performance today, impact beyond your own organization, and then think of tomorrow. And then in the end, this is going hand in hand with sustainability because that's how you actually build sustainability in general, whatever topic it is about sustainability. Yeah, I think that that third component is is extremely important, but it's something that associations 
can kind of have an advantage on in that they have the opportunity to take a longer term view compared to some of their members and encourage their members really to look from that point of view as well. True, and then we are in a lucky position, at least in SEPI, that we, we have been allowed to do proactive work. So we have many projects that are really doing that. So one example, which is then matching also these three components of leadership, is, is, is a project called For Evergreen that we have set up in 2020. And it gathers companies from whole of the value chain of, of paper and board packaging. So from, from those that are supplying the, the raw materials upstream to those that are the big brand names downstream and, and, and retailers and, and waste management companies. And the, the goal is to, to perfect the circularity of packaging so that we, by 2030, will have 90% recycling rate for any packaging, everything. And then that's, that's a huge challenge. But we, we are having this mindset of, of building something that is, is future-proof yeah. for the whole of the value chain. And it is amazing that it, it's working. It, it's working the whole value chain. They, they know typically one step up and one step down in the value chain, but not the whole value chain. And there are a whole load of, of suspicion about the other actors in the value yeah. chain. And if you have these circular value chains like we do already, so we already have 82% recycling rate for, for packaging in our, our industry, which is almost closing the loop already. So it means that your upstream becomes your downstream and your downstream becomes your upstream because it's sure. circular. So you can't ignore anymore what the others do further away from your step in the value chain. And you have to, first of all, understand them and, 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 and make sense with what, what you do communicate better there's this uh, famous game theory uh, model of the prisoner's dilemma which is uh, demonstrating what happens if people have to make decisions in isolation and not communicating to others that have an impact on the decision so they make rational decision that in the end is punishing themselves but everybody else as well that's the, the idea of the prisoner's dilemma and then that would happen in, in a value chain if you don't have the communication if you don't understand why people are asking things or doing things that they do and, 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 and making sure that what you do is, is supporting that and, 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 and aligned with that, you actually are in the prisoner's dilemma and, and, and you don't actually gain anything yourself either. And that's, that's uh, amazing if you start thinking about it. And then it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. When I was a child, I, I, I liked, I, I mean, very small child, like three years old, I, I, I could amuse myself for for a long time by by looking at an object and then closing one eye and then the other eye and then see how the the vision changes. And I was amazed that how can this be? It's of course much later that I understood that with the two eyes you you get this slight difference of of view that this is making the the depth in the picture. So the the stereo vision. But if you have two persons, so it's not just uh, the five centimeters difference between the two eyes, but uh, maybe one meter or, or two associations or the whole value chain. Then you get so much more perspective that uh, the picture becomes much more deep. And, and, and then you actually understand the reality in a totally different way. And then that's really challenging. Yes. But if you engage in that, it's also transformative. You, you understand the thing that you were talking about, you thought you were an expert about in a totally different way. And then, then the solutions that you come up together will have, of course, much more effect. 
I think what's very interesting about this for me links to the role of associations in mm. society, in economies, because associations, correct me if I'm wrong, can become a forum to allow people to generate this sort of depth perception. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We, we pull together the understanding and the, the perspectives from all over the Europe, from all kinds of companies. We, we are actually still quite uh, heterogeneous as, as, a, as a sector, so we are not as consulted as many other classic industries. So we have still 500 companies operating 900 sites all over Europe. Two-thirds of them are SMEs, but then the one-third are, are huge multinationals. They, they have really global perspective as well. And then that is a challenge because you have to, of course, accommodate for all that. But it's also the richness and, and, and the, the, the thing that helps us to see the reality in, in more depth. Great. On the topic of collaboration, one example that I saw was the collaboration with the heat pump industry, mm. which seems to have been successful. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. We realized that uh, we have this challenge of, of decarbonization. So first of all, we, we start from a very good position. So we are already, since a long time, the, the largest generator and, and user of renewable energy industrially in Europe of all the industries. 62% of our energy is already renewable, which is fantastic. So when, when Europe gets to that level of 62% renewable energy, in, in the whole of the society, we, we have actually won many of the, the fights that we, we still have to face. So we are very unique. The, that's the good news. But the bad news is that this renewable energy is not evenly distributed in the sector. So those who have it have ample amount of that renewable energy and they can even supply it to the grid for others in the society that need it. Those who don't have it, they don't have absolutely anything at all. And those are mainly now operating with natural gas. And, and not only because of the, the war in Ukraine, but already before we realized that we need to find a solution for those companies to, to decarbonize that are not having the access to renewable energy at the moment are, are depending on renewable energy. And it's mostly our recycling mills. So they, they are based on, on, on natural gas in, in most of the cases. So we decided that we need to have a forum where we can have exchanges of what solutions they would be. First of all, we can't have one size that fits all. So this is one of the problems, of course, maybe also the current policymaking that uh, people are becoming more prescriptive. So not only setting the goals, but also saying to everybody in the society what they have to do to get there, instead of letting everybody define the, the most convenient and the most effective way of getting there. By the way, but the, this is a bit, bit the side of the, the topic. So we as an association, we can't say that this is what you have to do to decarbonize, but we, we can be helpful in scouting solutions and in particular looking a bit further away from, from the usual suspects. So, of course, our companies know the, the technology suppliers very well. Yep. They ask the questions, they get the answers, but we thought that this is not really opening our eyes to, to, to seeing solutions that we are, we are not familiar with. Yeah. So we started a forum for, for this energy transition in SEPI where we have our companies, and anybody who has an idea from any other industries or any other research or whatever, once a month for one hour, there's two to three presentations on, on what solutions could be. Then our companies can 
roast those those presenters saying that well this is what could be a challenging for our setup or how have you thought about this or that or or combining two two technologies together doesn't work or whatever it is but actually many of the solutions could be working at least in in part so i don't think there's a silver bullet that we can offer that would solve it for everybody but one of the solutions is is heat pumps well the funny thing is that the first ever the the inaugurating meeting of of this forum we we organized in, 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 in exactly with heat pump suppliers but the sad thing is that after the the one hour session we concluded that it doesn't work for us because we need to have higher temperatures and higher pressure of of heat than they can supply with with heat pumps yep. but then we didn't stop there we we said well let's put together a project where we look how we can solve this and we we sort of built the bridge from two sides so we we looked at our company's yep. needs to see that do they actually need so high temperatures and so much pressure and then how they can also work out in the technology of heat pumps to to meet the needs so we we found a solution and and now we believe that this can be one of the solutions but it's not the solution for for all the all the sides of course for me what it highlights is the importance of deeds above words it's not good enough for associations just to paint a picture of the sustainability achievements of their members they need to be actively involved in coming up with solutions we can help helping in in finding solutions or, or creating guidelines so this kind of industry standards or industry guidelines which we, we can do but again we don't have authority to say that this is what the companies have to do so we have the authority of of uh, being sensible rational if it makes sense for the companies they will do it if it doesn't make sense they will look at another solution we might have or or other solution they find elsewhere the most important thing of course is that for those that have for example the SMEs typically don't have the human resources of of having the research in the company so they are depending on on getting support from either their suppliers or or from associations like us you're right it's been a fascinating discussion at the very least a good reminder not to hug a tree without getting permission um but very very interesting discussion thank you for joining us today thanks mm-hmm.